0: Hi, I'm Issa Kwonga. And I'm Ryan Hunt. And we co-host Stadio, a football podcast, on the Ringer Podcast Network.
1: If you like soccer or football, make sure you search for Stadio, a football podcast, on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. It's Off the Pike, presented by FanDuel. April showers bring a loaded sports calendar, and FanDuel is the place to bet on it all. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Parlay Hub. Filter by odds, sport, and bet type to easily find the most popular parlays and same-game parlays all on one page. Plus, start betting on the Explore page and the Pulse and get paid instantly when you win. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, America's number one sports book. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming. Please visit rg-help.com to learn more about the resources and helplines available and listen to the end of this episode for additional details. Must be 21 plus and in in select states.
0: Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com.
1: Welcome into Off the Pike. I'm Brian Barrett, and we're going to get into the Pats roster. We'll do a deep dive after cut day. We'll chat with Doug Kide from Pro Football Focus. So we'll get into everything going on with the Patriots in terms of the guys that are no longer here, et cetera, because we're less than two weeks away from the Patriots and the Miami Dolphins getting things going. So we'll do the deep dive in just a little bit. So I wanted to start with something from a Patriots perspective that I've sort of been in denial about, and you look back to the 2021 offseason, and you draft Mac Jones, and you pick up a really good pass rusher in Matthew Judon, and it felt like, all right, here we go. The Pats are back. They're going to be relevant again. I'm not saying they're the kings of the AFC with the Chiefs. Obviously, they had that crown at that particular point in time, but it did feel like, all right, the Patriots after that miserable miserable 2020 season that we went through with Cam Newton, all right, you're going to have a competitive football team again. So what I was in denial about was how the Patriots became competitive again. Because remember, prior to 2021, Tommy Curran had the report that the Patriots were going to be uncharacteristically aggressive in free agency. And it turns out Tommy Curran, as he always is, was correct about that. And it's not a coincidence that this happened right after Tom Brady won the Super Bowl in Tampa Bay, that the Patriots were going to spend the most money up until that particular point in time that any team had spent in the history of the NFL. And in some sense, I was excited, like, here we go. The Patriots are actually going to be aggressive. They didn't do that all the time in the Brady era. But then remember the quote from Robert Kraft. He talks to Peter King, and this is what he had to say about the spending in free agency, quote, I do remember we always made fun of the teams that spent a lot of time or that spent a lot in the off season. So we know nothing is guaranteed and I'm very cognizant of that. So Robert Kraft saying the teams that spent a lot, we made fun of those teams. And I remember thinking to myself when Robert Kraft said that, oh fuck, we did used to make fun of those teams, but hey, it's gonna be different. It's the Patriots. There's no way it's gonna be like those other teams. They would not do this unless they were looking out for the short term and the long term with the organization. And so at the time I was a little bit concerned and then the season went on and it was like, okay, Mac Jones, it looks like now Jamar Chase ended up winning it, but it looked like he was on the trajectory to win the rookie of the year. And the Patriots entered their bye week with the number one seed in the AFC. And it looked like this team had completely turned around. Remember they beat Josh Allen when Mac Jones threw the ball three times and you felt like, all right, you're cooking with gasoline. And then Everything sort of fell apart after the bye week, which they need to make like a documentary about what happened on the Patriots bye week because I still don't understand it. But anyway, I digress. But I got more concerned about not just the comments from Robert Kraft, but the situation the Patriots were in following the season. I actually tweeted about it on May, March 15th, rather, when we're getting ready for the NFL draft is if you look in recent history, all these teams that when the free agency belt, if you will, spend the most money in free agency. I don't know if that should be a belt because usually these teams have issues. But nonetheless, if you look at it through recent history of the NFL, the teams that spend all this money, they end up sucking the second year after, or at least there's a big drop off. So if you look at the 2016 Giants, remember the team with Odell Beckham Jr., they go on the boat, et cetera, they make the playoffs, they lose to the Packers, but they did make the playoffs. They went 11 and five that year. The next year, they go 3 and 13. So, an eight win drop off. The 17 Jaguars, they go 10 and 6. Remember, they played the Patriots, and Miles Jack, was he down? Was he not down? Like, they easily could have beat the Patriots that year. In 18, they went to 5 and 11. So, that's a five win drop off. The 18 Bears, 12 and 4, they spent the most money. In 19, they go 8 and 8. So, that's a four win drop off, of course. The 19 Jets, seven and nine, which doesn't seem like a lot, but again, it's the fucking Jets. 2020, they go two and 14. So we're talking about a five win drop off. The 2020 Dolphins, they go 10 and six. In 2021, they go nine and eight. So I guess technically it's a one win difference, but from a winning percentage perspective, 625 to 529, because you got to factor in the extra game that started last season. So that's really scary, right? Everyone gets better the initial year. There's a jump. And then the year after, everybody falls off. So now all these situations, I understand they're all unique, they're different, etc. Like 16, Eli wasn't good that season, but then he completely fell off. The next year, he averaged his 231 yards per game after 251 the year prior. And the big thing for the Giants is their defense went from the second-ranked scoring defense to the 27th. The Jaguars' Bortles took a step back. Fournette was not the same guy. He went down from 80 to 54 yards per game. The offense went from 5th in scoring down to 21st. Okay, the 18 Bears, Mitch Trubisky stepped back. His passer rating went from 95.4 to 83. They went from ninth in scoring offense to 29th. With the Dolphins, obviously, they had a ton of injuries, but they also went from Ryan Fitzpatrick was their quarterback. They got rid of him. Tua takes over. Tua gets injured, and he had his issues at times last season as well, and they had issues off the field as well, the whole situation with Flores and the ownership, et cetera. So all these teams failed in the second year post their spending spree, but in different ways, I totally understand that. But I mean, they all have issues the second year It's sort of like a bachelor party, right? Like you have fun for three to four nights, but then it hits you after that and you pay for it literally and figuratively. And that's what happens to teams the second year after they spend the money is it hits them on the salary cap. So just look at the Patriots right now because they're in this situation. They won the free agency belt two years ago, and here's where they're at. Hunter Henry's cap at 6.8 mil up to 15. Jonu Smith, 5.6 up to 13.6 million for Jonu Smith. Aguilar, 6.9 up to 14.8. Judon, 6.3 up to 16.5. So the reason you're cap strapped this offseason is because of what happened two years ago. You couldn't really add. Really think about it. The only significant piece this team really has on the roster now is Devontae Parker, right? And it's not like he's in the family photo of the best receivers in the NFL. So the Patriots went 10 and seven. Based on where the roster is at right now, how do they avoid the trend that all these other teams have gone through? See, the problem is, first of all, let's look at the defense. Can that get better? Well, J.C. Jackson's gone. And that's sort of aggravating, right? Because that's a player that did an outstanding job developing as an undrafted guy. He was entering his 27-year-old season. This is the type of guy you want to keep around. Remember, when the Patriots signed Stephon Gilmore, he was entering his 27-year-old season. J.C. Jackson is the same age. So you would want to keep J.C. Jackson around. The Patriots didn't. So one way the team could get better, can that actually happen on defense? They're going to do this without J.C. Jackson because last year they were second in scoring percentage against, which is basically just the amount of drives that your opponent scores on. They were second best in passer rating against. They were second in pro football focuses coverage grade. They were only 20th in pass rush grade, though, and they were 11th in pressure rate. So the reason this team was really good defensively last year was because of the back end, and in particular because J.C. Jackson was one of the best corners in the NFL. So your coverage is going to take a significant step back without J.C. Jackson part of the equation. So that means your pass rush is going to have to be unbelievable this season. And as much as I like Judon and Barmore, I don't see that being the case with the Patriots. So, and if you look at it too, it really sucks because JC Jackson, he's a better corner than Hunter Henry as a tight end. than definitely John U. Smith is as a tight end or Matthew is as an edge player, but you're paying all those guys. And I don't, if the argument is Bill didn't think he was worth it. I just don't buy that. It doesn't register to me because every Belichick elite defense has had a great corner. In the early years, you had Ty Law, then that transition to Asante Samuel. And I know Samuel was more of a gambler, but a really good player. Then you had Tlaib, who you traded for, and then you bring in Revis, you rent him the ultimate hired gun, and then you have Gilmore to J.C. Jackson. He clearly values the position. So I have to believe that this was about the money. And remember, the reporting was, well, the Patriots didn't want to match the five years and they didn't want to match the total and guaranteed money. They'd come close to the salary on an annual basis, but they didn't want to go with the years. Well, then you're not going to get the fucking player. So I, I never bought into that whatsoever. They just didn't want to pay him which aggravates me. This is the type of core guy that should be here, but he's not. So it brings me to, well, why are you handing over money to pretty good players and not great players? And in the case of John W. Smith, not even a good player right now, I'm not saying he can't be better in year two. I mean, quite frankly, he couldn't be worse, but does anyone think the Titans right now are saying, I wish we had John U. Smith. Or the Chargers, right? And Hunter Henry is a pretty good player. This isn't meant to be an indictment on Hunter Henry, but he's not a great player. The Chargers, right now, you think they're upset that they don't have Hunter Henry? They have Mike Williams, they have Keenan Allen, they have Austin Eckler, and they added Khalil Mack and J.C. Jackson, who I understand is coming back from his injury, but they're going to have those guys with Asante Samuel, with Derwin James. So they have all those guys on the roster. They don't need Hunter Henry. Their money was better spent the next offseason paying defensive players rather than Hunter Henry. They have enough weapons. And I know this is going to sound like an annoying storyline because we talk about it all the time, but you're still paying the price the Patriots are for bad draft picks, unfortunately. So you're overpaying Jonu Smith and Hunter Henry. Why? Because you missed on two tight ends in the same draft. And Bill knew it last offseason. Last offseason is when he paid Asi Asi, or excuse me, when he paid... Henry, and Smith because Devin Asiasi and Dalton Keene couldn't play. Both those guys were released by the Patriots on Tuesday. Keene, three catches, 16 yards in his career. Asiasi, two catches for 39 yards. Neither one of those guys was good enough to play in the NFL. So (laughs) missing on not one, but two tight ends is why you have a $28.6 million cap hit for two tight ends this season, one of which gave the team nothing last offseason. You had to save yourself last offseason just getting NFL tight ends. Because remember, the Patriots post-Gronk haven't had a real tight end. They tried to bring back Ben Watson when he was like 50. I mean, after Ben Watson was good at the beginning of his tenure with the Patriots, you brought him back when he was old. You tried guys like Matt Lacoste. You never found or you never were able to locate any real tight end at the NFL level post-Gronk. So you tried it in the draft. That didn't work. So now you got a $28.6 million cap it for two guys that aren't great. Hunter Henry's a fine player, but he's not worth the money that you're paying him, right? So essentially what has happened here is the cheap labor on your roster, that's what teams need. They need to hit on guys in the draft, and the Patriots, unfortunately, from 18 to 20, just really didn't do that, and that's what is hurting them right now. Even at receiver, right? Nelson Aguilar, fine player, but if, say, you hit on a receiver from 18 to 20, is not here, he's not on the team. So if you look at all the production teams are getting, with receivers on their rookie contracts. It's fascinating. 10 out of the top 20 receivers in yards last year were on their rookie deals. Jefferson was second with 1,616 yards. You know what his cap it was? 2.9 mil. Remember, the Patriots are paying their tight ends 28.6 mil against the cap combined. Jefferson made 2.9 mil. He's one of the best five receivers in the NFL on a rookie deal last year. Chase was fourth of the NFL in yards, $5.6 million cap hit. Debo, 5th, 2.2 uh, million, rather. Deontay Johnson for the Steelers, 10th, 1.6 million. DJ Moore, he was 11th at 3.5. Mike Williams on the option, so he spe- they spent a little bit more on him at 15.6, but still on the option. He His extension starts now. C.D. Lamb was 15th at receiving yards, $3.8 million cap hit. T. Higgins, 1091, or 1,091, I should say, $1.9 million cap hit. Pittman for the Colts, 18th, $1.9 million cap hit, And Terry McLaurin for Washington, with no quarterback, by the way, was 20th with a $1.1 million cap hit. So you're paying Aguilar $14.6 million. Does anyone see Aguilar being in the top 20 in receiving yards next season? So this is the whole issue here. And look, there's hope with Thornton, but Thornton is injured to begin the season. But there already should have been another receiver here on top of Thornton on a rookie deal. So you look at the Bengals who just played in the Super Bowl, they had two guys on that list, T. Higgins and Jamar Chase. The Niners, of course, they had Debo Samuel. They were one game away. They should have been in the Super Bowl if it isn't for dropping an interception. And Brandon Ayuk's on a rookie deal as well. That guy's a stud. And so it brings me to how do they prevent this trend of the second year of free agency spending? How do they prevent this from happening like all these other teams? So you say, okay, offensively, I do like some of the weapons, even though they're overpriced, but your offensive line is now worse than it was a season ago. Remember, Shaq Mason is now playing with Tom Brady. Maybe some of that had to do with money. 7.3 against the cap this year, 8.5 next year. He was your highest rated player, according to Pro Football Focus. So now you're hoping you get cheap labor in Cole Strange, who you drafted in the first round. But even with that all being said, does anybody envision the line being better than it was a season ago? They were 10th in pass blocking. They were 8th in run blocking, according to Pro Football Focus. So based on the issues they have up front, Does anybody think this offense is going to be significantly better than it was a season ago? No. So the secondary, the offensive line, it's more likely, or I should say it's way more likely that the Patriots are in the same position that those Dolphins were in, that the Giants were in, that the Jaguars were in, that the Bears were in, that they're going to be in that same position where they take a step back after spending all that money in free agency two years ago. And if you look at that 18 to 20 period, right, so yeah, Michael and Wenyu, he's a fine player, but he was a backup for you last year. But if you look at it, 18, Isaiah win, the Patriots were contemplating trading him. He's not a great tackle, and he's always dealing with health issues. Sony Michelle's no longer here. Duke Dawson, of course, couldn't play at all. Then you look at 19, Nikhil Harry is going to go down as arguably the worst pick in Patriots history. Joan Williams got injured, but he wasn't going to play anyway. Chase Winovich is now on the Browns. Damian Harris, fine player, but he's a running back. That's the easiest position to find. You look at 2020, Kyle Duggar, okay, good pick. Nobody's diminishing Kyle Duggar. I like him as a player, but that's one guy during that time, really, outside of on you and Damian Harris, right? Josh Uche, you've got nothing so far. Jennings, you've gotten nothing. We know that Asi and Keen were cut, so you had to sign those tight ends. So that's the issue is you're paying the price from 18 through 20. And I have hope for the last couple of drafts, but you're paying the price for 18 through 20. And unfortunately, you'll look at it, Bill, He's had some really hot streaks during his tenure. 01 to 06, he was really good at the draft. 01, Seymour and Matt Light. Same draft. Light's a Patriots Hall of Famer. Seymour's in the Hall of Fame. Deion Branch in 02, who would become Brady's number one weapon for a bunch of years. Ty Warren, Asante Samuel, Dan Copen, all in 03. Vince Wilfork in 04. Mankins in 05. 06 was not a great draft for Bill, but he did get Guskowski, who, of course, replaced Adam Vinatieri. Now, I never trusted the guy, but it's still a good kicker for an extended period of time, even if he made you sweat every time he kicked. 07 to 09, Bill had a dip again. So the defenses sucked in 11, 12, and 13 following those drafts. You did get Mayo during that stretch, but not a whole lot else. So they didn't draft well. And remember, the Patriots still made the Super Bowl in one of those years because they had Brady. They made the Super Bowl with the 31st-ranked defense, which is still unbelievable to imagine that Tom got that team to the Super Bowl. But then Bill got Hutt again. 10, McCourty, Gronk, and Hernandez. 12, Chandler Jones and Hightower. 13, Jamie Collins, Logan Ryan, who would become a mainstay for this team. And Daron Harmon, all really good players for this team. And then you had that great run from 14th through 18, where you played in a bunch of Super Bowls and you won three of them. So my whole thing here is I feel bad for Mac. So we cannot really look at this and diminish what Tom did, because a lot of times he elevated the roster. Even if it wasn't great, he elevated it. Mac's never going to be sort of in that stratosphere, if you will. But when Bill put together really good rosters for Tom, you had two different dynasties. And with Mac, it just feels like you wish he came in after one of these hot streaks for Bill rather than where Bill's at right now. Now, hopefully he's on to something with Mac, Barmore, Stevenson in the last draft and then Thornton in this previous draft. And Duggar was a good pick in 2020, but you're gonna have to wait on that group. What's killing this team right now is 18 through 20. And that's why when I look at this Patriots roster in totality, it does feel like it's more similar to those teams that we've seen the second year after spending they're going to be porked and it's not going to be the same level of success that they had last year just because naturally you were capstrapped cap strapped because all those guys, you're paying them more money than ultimately they deserve. That's the reality. They fell into a good situation because the Patriots were desperate. All right. A lot more to get into. We'll get into the Patriots roster. Cut down day. We'll chat with Doug Kide from Pro Football Focus.
0: This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com.
1: All right, welcome back into Off the Pike. Joining us now from Pro Football Focus, it is Doug Kai. Doug, thanks so much for taking some time today, man. I know it's been a busy day.
2: It's been a, a very busy day. At least this isn't done on the Saturday of Labor Day weekend, these roster cuts anymore. That used to be like an entire day affair. Now, at least it's on a Tuesday when there's... Not usually a whole lot else going on for most people, though I did have uh I dropped my my daughter off at kindergarten today, so that was another added element today.
3: <laughs> well, a
1: lot a lot going on with all the cuts. So from a Patriots perspective, any surprise cuts to you?
2: Um, yeah, there was a couple. I'd say that Justin Bethel on the special teams angle. I don't think a lot of people expected him to be cut. Uh, beyond that, I'd say there was it was mostly pretty stock. Uh, one thing that I was a little bit surprised with is that they they're only really keeping four wide receivers right now. They kept Tyquan Thornton on the fifty-three man roster in order to put him on an injured reserve. But there are some wide receivers who stood out in camp this year. They wound up putting Christian Wilkerson on injured reserve and then cut Trey Nixon and Little Jordan Humphrey. So they're probably hoping one of those guys gets the practice squad, and that will be their depth there. But with all the wide receivers they had, I think most people expected them to keep one extra player
4: there.
1: What about Cameron McGrone? Because it seemed like the idea that they didn't take a linebacker in this year's draft was because they had high hopes for him after the shirts season, the injury coming off the knee situation. So was it just he never took in camp? They just didn't see any hope with him going forward?
2: Yeah, I think that that was mostly it. It was he he never really ascended beyond that that scout team squad on defense. It was guys like Raekwon McMillan and Mac Wilson and even Giovanni uh, T- Tavai were taking those first team reps in there so it was kind of disappointing I had high hopes for Cameron McGrown when they took him last year in the fifth round and he they took him in the fifth round and the thought process was that he fell that far because he had just torn his ACL but turns out that you know now that he's actually played in the defense for for an entire summer he probably would have been a fifth round pick even without the torn ACL
1: Interesting. Yeah, it just feels like they finally they found a fast linebacker, but he's not going to work out, which kind of sucks for a Bill Belichick and company. So, Doug, I'd love to get your take on this. So the other night I was looking at the first round quarterbacks from 2020 and 2021, and I ranked how likely the quarterback was to succeed just based on the situation, not comparing Lawrence to Mac or Mac to Fields, etc., but if you look at those guys, of course, Joe Burrow's already been to the Super Bowl. But if you look at those rosters, the Bengals, the Dolphins, the Chargers, Niners, Pats, Bears, Jets, and Jaguars, how do you think the Patriots compare to some of those other teams that have quarterbacks on rookie contracts?
2: I would put them pretty much smack dab in the middle. So my ranking was Chargers number one, uh, Bengals number two, despite the fact that they just played in the Super Bowl. I still have them below the Chargers right now. Then the Dolphins and the 49ers then the Patriots, and then it it drops off quite a bit with the Jets, Jaguars, and Bears. Uh, I will say with the Chargers, it's a lot of scouting on paper right now for them because they added so many pieces this offseason. So, you know, Patriots had the spending splurge last year. Only about half of those signings worked out. Same thing could wind up happening for the Chargers this year where some of those signings like J.C. Jackson, the trade for Clomac, those guys don't work out, but simply on paper – I do think they've got the most talented roster around Herbert right now.
1: Yeah, I was with you, too. I ranked a fifth. I had a little different order at the top four, but I had the Patriots fifth as well. So I'm wondering, like, if you look at all these young receivers across the league, the Jamar Chases of the world, and all these guys that are having success, we always talk about the rookie quarterback contract. Is the receiver contract sort of becoming the same thing now, where it's almost like you need to have one of those guys on your or in your organization, rather?
2: Yeah, you either need to hit on the rookie wide receiver or... Yeah, I mean, basically, (laughs) that's that's the solution here because the Chargers have a couple of guys that they drafted in, Keenan Allen and Mike Williams. Obviously, they're beyond the point of being on those rookie deals, but with a guy like Mike Williams, since they drafted him, they signed him to a deal that was worth $20 million per year uh, before free agency. If they had had to sign him to that deal a month later, they might have had to pay him $30 million. So just getting him on the team, signing him when they did, I think that that definitely worked out. Bengals, obviously, have got Jamar Chase, Dolphins, Jalen Waddell, plus Tyree Kill, 49ers with Debo Samuel. All of these teams ranked above the Patriots, at least on my list, had that elite wide receiver on their team. And, you know, even the Jets could wind up having that guy in Garrett Wilson since they drafted him so high. Elijah Moore uh, could be in that conversation as well. So that was one thing that did hurt the Patriots is that I think they've got a well-rounded roster, but there's there's a, it, they're basically devoid of stars right now across the offense and across the defense. Well-rounded, but I do think you need those significant impact makers to have one of the most talented rosters in the NFL.
1: Yeah, I'm with you. It makes a lot of sense. And we saw what Chase did for Burrow in year two in Burrow's career. Now, maybe Burrow gets to a high level anyway, but certainly having Jamar Chase didn't hurt. So I want to get to Mack a little bit more for a second. So obviously a pretty good rookie season. What do you see, Doug, as the biggest area that he needs to improve in?
2: I think right now it's simply mastering and getting comfortable within the offense, because I think that if he had been able to stay with Josh McDaniels this season, maybe you wouldn't have seen the same progression as you've seen out of guys like Josh Allen or Joe Burrow in the past, just because he doesn't have those high end traits that other quarterbacks do. But I do think there would have been some progress right now. What's kind of holding him back is the fact that him and everyone else in the offense has to learn some of these new these new communication tools, some of the new verbiage, everything going on. So I think that that's the one thing that's really holding him back. Beyond that, there's a reason why he was the fifth quarterback taken in last year's draft, and that's because he doesn't have those traits that other quarterbacks do. So I think that arm strength can still be improved. Um, he, can, he can move around the pocket a little bit better. Those can, things can be tweaked. I do still think that he will eventually play better than he did as a rookie. It just might not be this year.
1: Yeah, it's interesting going forward, too, because you mentioned the scheme thing. And obviously, that's been the biggest topic of conversation locally with Matt Patricia and Joe Judge doing a lot of the offense. But you mentioned just from a schematic standpoint, a lot more on Max plate. Do you think that was wise to put that on a quarterback's plate in year two?
2: I, I think to some degree, they are- they almost didn't have a choice. I don't want to defend what they've done because I don't agree with the fact that you know you replace Josh McDaniels with two guys who've never run an offense before, <laughs> but it's, it's kind of a hard thing to defend. Uh, I will say that you couldn't carry over the same system without – the guy who's been running it for almost twenty years now in Josh McDaniels, without the quarterback and Tom Brady, without guys like Julian Edelman and Rob Gronkowski and James White, who know it like the back of their hand. So they did definitely have to simplify some things. And one thing that I heard as far back as right around the Super Bowl was that the Patriots would implement some some elements of the Alabama offense into their own offense to actually make it better for Mac Jones. So I think that eventually we'll see that. Um, it's just it's been some tougher growing pains I think that I and a lot of other people expected with them trying to simplify the system and if anything it seems like it looks more complicated when you see it out on the field right now
1: yeah that's interesting to the Alabama thing so does that mean like I was looking at it last year he threw only 32 passes out of RPOs he completed 28 of them and we know at the collegiate level he was one of the best RPO quarterbacks coming out so is that what it means will they start to dig into that a little bit more
2: yeah, I think it'll be more RPOs, maybe allow them to show. I know you don't typically think of Mac Jones and mobility, but I mean, Mac Jones ran a 4840. If you look at this, kind of a, it's something that I kind of bring up a lot. It's basically just because I think it's interesting. When Mac Jones was coming out of high school and when Trey Lance was coming out of high school, Mac Jones actually ran a faster 40-yard dash than Trey Lance. Trey Lance didn't run the 40 before when he was coming out of college. So we actually have no idea how fast Trey Lance is right now, but when those guys were coming out of high school, Mac Jones was actually faster. So he can do some of the bootleg stuff. He can do some of the rollout stuff. So I think it's doing that. It's doing the RPOs. It's allowing him to, to stretch the ball downfield a little bit more. So I think that Nelson Aguilar could get more involved. Tyquan Thornton, when he's back from the injury, he could get more involved as well because Mac Jones was a fantastic deep passer at Alabama as well. doesn't have the arm strength, but he's got the touch on those deep throws.
1: Yeah, I'm still flabbergasted by the fact that he ran faster than Trey Lance. That is absolutely amazing. So, Doug, I know that you guys obviously at Pro Football Focus, you guys grade everything. I I absolutely love Pro Football Focus because it gives you an idea of not even just like what the player did, but against this coverage, that coverage, et cetera. So I thought it'd be fun to run through some of the position groups and just... Real simple, above average, average, or below average in terms of where the Patriots stack up against the rest of the league. So let's start with the weapons. We'll throw the tight ends and the receivers together. Where do you think the Patriots rank against the rest of the league?
2: I'd say overall, below average. Uh, If you had to split them up, I'd say wide receivers are below average, tight ends are above average. But if you look at them as a whole, they've got the depth at wide receiver, but I mean, what you really need is that one game breaker. We've seen that recently with, you know, teams across the NFL and the Patriots just don't have that. I also, unless Tyquan Thornton explodes this season, I'm not sure if they really even have the potential to have that player at either wide receiver or a tight end right now.
1: Yeah, that's what really sucks about the Thornton injury. I was so excited to see him play early. What about the running backs? Because of course you guys were high on Damian Harris and Stevenson last year.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I've got them above average. Thank you. It hurts a little bit to lose James White. I'm not sure how effective he would have been this season anyway. But yeah, I mean, Damian Harris and Ramondre Stevenson were two of our highest graded running backs last season. I expect much of the same this year. And one thing that I find a little bit interesting is that I still think that Damian Harris is is going to be the lead back in this offense. You've you've seen it on fantasy rankings, I think people are a little bit higher on Ramondre Stevenson. Maybe that's his ability to catch the ball out of the backfield. But Mac Jones and Damian Harris have been like best friends since like 2018 or something so if if you're gonna get Damian Harris involved in the offense in the passing game with any quarterback it would probably be Mac Jones
1: now the offensive line we looked at it coming into the season I thought even without Shaq Mason even though they didn't get great value from him I thought they would have a good offensive line but Doug what we've seen throughout the preseason has not been good where do you have the offensive line right now
2: yeah I mean if you look at them pure talent-based, I think they're above average. I mean, Trent Brown's a good left tackle. Isaiah Wynn's a good right tackle. Uh, Michael Anwenu is always one of our highest-graded offensive linemen. He's at right guard. David Andrews almost made the top 100 list at center. Uh, Cole Strange, I think. Was, you could question where he was taken in the draft, but I think he'll be a good player. So I talent-wise, I'd put them above average. The way they've played so far, far below average. So I'd still say above average. I think that things will... We'll, we'll shake out a little bit better once the season starts. Uh, I would say that I question the depth a little bit there because they're they're pretty much devoid of of a lot of talent behind those, those top five starters there.
1: Yeah, that makes me feel better because of course they play poorly, but the talent level is higher than maybe they've shown so far on tape. And maybe part of it is it affects them more so than anybody else, this change that they're making. So let's hop on over to the defense. What about that D-line? Of course, Barmore coming off that monster season as a rookie.
2: Yeah. Overall, I'd say above average. Um, You could definitely convince me that they're average instead, but I think that Matthew Judon set to have another good season. Uh, Christian Barmore could take a significant leap this season. Uh, Devon Godshaw and Lawrence Guy are, are two very effective uh, run stuffers in the middle there. They definitely lack another elite edge defender opposite Matt Judon. Maybe that can finally be Josh Uche this year. Maybe Anthony Jennings can ascend, but and still put them above average. It, it's it's really teetering on the average scale there for me, though.
1: Yeah, I'm interested on your take on the linebackers because Van Noy, correct me if I'm wrong, graded out as the number one coverage linebacker on PFF last year, and Bentley apparently looks a lot better this preseason than he has in the past. What do you make of that group?
2: I, I've got below average on the linebacker core. Um, it's, yeah, Juwan Bentley, He's he's an effective run defender. He's good at what he does. But if you need him to be your every down linebacker in the middle of the field, I think he's going to struggle a little bit on third down. And I think that that's what they're going to want him to be. They're going to want him to be that play caller there. Beyond that, Jelani Tavai really didn't work out with the Lions. Seems like he's going to have a, a big role on the team this year. Mac Wilson didn't work out with the Browns. He's probably going to take on a big role as that kind of more athletic linebacker. Raekwon McMillan missed last year with the torn ACL. The, the Patriots linebackers were a strength for so many years when they had Gerard Mayo and Dante Hightower and Jimmy Collins and all these guys. Now they're all gone. So I, I'd say this is one of the shakier groups on the team, definitely below average.
1: Yeah, and then the secondary, you lose J.C. Jackson, who, of course, had an outstanding season. Now, you feel okay about that safety group, but in general, how do you feel about the defensive backs?
2: Overall, I'd say below average, and, and a lot of that yeah. is on the cornerbacks because safeties, safeties are solid. I mean, Devin McCourty is still a very good player. I think um, uh, I think Kyle Duggar's going to take another step forward this season. Adrian Phillips is good. Jabril Rogers, all those guys are good. But the cornerbacks, it, it's kind of rough. You you lose out on Stephon Gilmore than you lose out on J.C. Jackson last year. So now you've got Jalen Mills as your number one cornerback. If they run a lot of zone. He can survive there, but I and mean, if you're asking him to cover Tyreek Hill and some of these other wide receivers that we we're talking about earlier in this podcast, he's definitely going to struggle. Then you've got Jonathan Jones, who is one of the better slot cornerbacks in the NFL, probably playing the other outside role, despite the fact that he's only five foot nine, five foot ten. The other slot guys there: Marcus Jones, a rookie; um, uh, Miles Bryant hasn't been overly effective throughout his career. You've got Jack Jones, another rookie. It's just. It's it's a tough group, probably one of the worst cornerback cores, I'd say, in the NFL. It's going to help if they do run more zone this year, but overall, that secondary, I think, could get exposed.
1: Yeah, I'm with you on the secondary. That's scary. I still don't understand the J.C. Jackson thing. So looking at the division, Miami seems to be like a polarizing team. A lot of people are really high on them, bringing in Mike McDaniel. Now, we know that Brian Flores did a really good job coaching about coaching against Bill, I should say. So where do you have Miami? Do you think they're better than the Patriots, or do you think the Patriots are the better team?
2: I actually do. I do think Miami's the better team. I expect them to finish second in the division uh, behind the Bills. They just had a really solid offseason. season obviously a lot of this depends on two guys and that's, Mike McDaniel, the head coach, and Tua Tongo uh, the quarterback. But I actually think that they can work in tandem pretty well. I think that Mike McDaniel can get the best out of Tua. Uh, he got the best out of, or him and Kyle Shanahan got the best out of Jimmy Garoppolo. Uh, they, they've always done a good job with these kind of middle-tier quarterbacks. And then you add Tyreek Hill, obviously, in the mix, Ron Armstead at left tackle. They made some other improvements on their, on their offensive line and a running back as well. And then the defense... You lose Brian Flores, which certainly hurts, but they kept on jo- they kept on Josh Boyer, who was the defensive coordinator last year, so they're still running the same system. He might not be quite as good of a defensive play caller as Brian Flores was, but I think that that carryover that they get where they don't have to change things up, they don't have to go through a roster rehaul like the Las Vegas Raiders did this offseason or the Minnesota Vikings did this offseason. They can keep those same pieces in place uh, and kind of, carry over what they did last year. So yeah, I'm, I'm actually expecting some pretty big things out of the Dolphins, but as I said, does really just depend on Mike McDaniel and Tua at the yeah. end of the day.
1: Yeah, I'm with you. I mean, the roster is really good. If Tua can't get it done, then obviously they're going to move on from after the season. So then it brings me to the bills who of course made that deep run two years ago. And of course, last year lost. they should have beaten the Kansas city chiefs, but where do you have the bills? Are they by, uh, do you think they're the best roster in the league?
2: Probably. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's the AFC is significantly stronger than the NFC. So I'd say that the Buccaneers are probably the best team in the NFC, but to be the best team in the AFC, you probably have to have the best roster. So yeah, the one thing I still worry about with the bills is just at, at cornerback uh, because Tredavious white starting the season on pop, he'll be out the first four weeks of the season at least. So they're probably going to start a rookie at cornerback and Kyrie Elum. Uh Dane Jackson might be the other starting cornerback. It's just, It's That's another shaky group uh, that the Bills are going to have to run with. But I think that the rest of that defense can make up for it when you've got Von Miller coming off the edge, you've got Gregory Rousseau coming off the edge, uh, Shaq Lawson in the mix, got some good uh, linebackers in there as well. And then the offense is just absolutely stacked. So yeah, there's still some questions on that team. But I would say for them to not finish first in the division this year, like, like Josh Allen would have to get hurt, or or you know, uh, Gabe Davis and uh, and Diggs would both have to get hurt. Like something very significant would have to happen, I think, for them to not be the best team in the AFC East this year.
1: All right, Doug. Before we let you go, because you mentioned the Bucks there, so Brady was away from the team for what eleven days, and of course, he didn't want to play for the Bucks prior to the season beginning. The whole situation with Miami. Is this the year we actually see Tom Brady fall a little bit?
2: don't think I'm ever going to predict it. It's just like one of my colleagues, Sam Monson, he was the one who predicted. And I think like 2014 that, you know, 2015 was going to be the cliff uh, for Tom Brady. And I, that certainly didn't come seven years later. We're still asking about when the cliff is going to come. So I, I think that, I think that as long as he's out there, he's still going to be a really good quarterback. And Obviously, another thing with him is that it really just depends on the weapons that are around him. It, we saw it firsthand, 2006, he struggled without the weapons around him. 2013, he struggled when he was throwing to Kembrel Tompkins and Aaron Dobson. 2019, he struggled when he was throwing to Josh Gordon and Mohamed Sanu and all these guys. It's not an issue in Tampa. He doesn't have the tight end in Rob Gronkowski this year, but I mean they're going four deep at wide receiver right now with potentially better players than the Patriots have as their top wide receiver. If you're talking about Mike Evans and Chris Godwin and uh, Julio Jones and all these guys and Russell Gage, all these guys in the offense, he has no problem with the guys that he's throwing to. So I think that as long as that's the case, he's still going to be a really good quarterback.
1: Yeah. It's depressing to look at the Buccaneers roster compared to the Patriots (laughs) roster. It really is. It's a
2: fascinating Patriots team though, just because like I said, like, It really is just a team devoid of stars. Maybe that changes after this year. Maybe Christian Barmore becomes a a stud up front. Maybe, you know, I don't even know who else it would be. But I mean, there's obviously some good players on that team. Kyle Duggar could become a star. But it's just, it's a well-balanced roster. But it does feel like in the NFL right now, you just need those elite talents to get you over the hump.
1: I'm with you on that. That is Doug Kide from Pro Football Focus. Hey, Doug, get some rest, man. Now the cut day is over.
0: (laughs) Absolutely will do. Thanks for having me, Brian. terms, conditions, restrictions, all apply. See website for details.
1: All right. Welcome back into off the pike. We did have some Red Sox news this week. Sam Kennedy told Ken Rosenthal of the athletic quote, I'm very comfortable saying Haim and Alex will be back. And I'm very comfortable saying there's a strong belief in the direction of the franchise from our ownership group. The direction is continuing to build for the future but also continuing to invest and at the major league level. Okay. So, a couple of things here with the quotes from Sam Kennedy. First of all, I don't understand why Haim Bloom and Alex Cora lumped into that quote together because <laughs> did anybody think Cora was on the hot seat? What was he supposed to do with this team that Haim Bloom g- gave him? He entered the season with no right fielder and he was given a crap bullpen. And if you just think about it, Ask some of the other managers across the sport. Kevin Cash was pantsed by Cora last year in the postseason. Remember what Cora did to him. He brought in a lefty early on in the game just so he could get Austin Meadows out of the game so Meadows couldn't face his right-handed relievers later on. It was next-level managing by Cora, and Kevin Cash was taking the bait every time. You think about the Blue Jays, for example. Let's say the hypothetical is the Red Sox were contemplating this, moving on from Alex Cora. John Schneider's an interim manager there. So Toronto could very easily say, after the season, say they lose in the first round of the playoffs, right? That's a loaded team. They've spent a ton of money. They could say, wait, core is available. Teams would be lining up to hire core. So I don't understand why high and bloom and core were in the same sentence there. I thought everybody knew that core was coming back. I didn't even know you needed to address that. But anyway, let's get to bloom for a second here. So I guess he gets credit for the farm system. He certainly does. They're up to 11th and they were 20th prior to the 2020 season, according to baseball of America. So he deserves credit there. But Let's also remember that Marcelo Mayer fell on his lap with a fourth pick. Remember, Henry Davis was selected first by the Pirates, by Ben Sherrington. That's a fireable offense by Ben Sherrington. He drafted a college catcher over the guy that was clearly the number one prospect in the draft. And the other two teams, the Rangers, went with Jack Leiter, of course, coming out of Vanderbilt, and the Tigers went with the pitcher as well. So that means that Mayer literally fell in the lap, or figuratively, I should say, in the lap of Heim Bloom. And then you look at the other big prospects the Red Sox have. He's definitely improved the farm system. I'm not taking that away from Heim. But Tristan Cassis, who should be up in the coming days here with the September call-ups, and Brian Bayo, the other top three prospects, if you will, in the organization, they're from the Dombrowski regime. Even if you don't say it's Dombrowski that drafted those guys, he was running the front office. He deserves credit for that, right? And then Sam Kennedy also said this to Rosenthal. We went out and we added to what was an incredibly talented group with Trevor Story. We were very optimistic about our chances and where we were headed, and incredibly excited that our baseball operations group had done a fantastic job of building for the future at the same time. So this is just completely disingenuous to me. He mentions story. Yeah, you did add him. But he assumes, or he makes it sound like you added him to a team that just made that run that was two wins shy of the World Series. Well, the problem is, you added him to a team that lost Schwarber and had lost Hunter Renfro. You willingly traded away Renfro, and you didn't want to keep Schwarber because... The gap between the Phillies and you was $30 million. So you didn't just add him to the American League runner-ups. You brought him into a team that lost its most impactful hitter post-trading deadline and another guy that hit 31 home runs. So it was one guy to replace two bats. That's a disingenuous comment from Sam Kennedy. The other thing is this whole idea of a talented group. Yeah, but what Sam Kennedy is leaving out is he didn't fix the bullpen, Bloom, The bullpen was shit. I mean, you look at it. I'll give you four names right now. Hansel Robles, DFA'd. Austin Davis DFA'd, Sal Amora DFA'd. Those are three guys you started the season with. All have been DFA'd, and Jake Diekman was traded. Those are four guys you started the season with in your bullpen. So yeah, you had some talented players, but you had a horrible bullpen to start the season. But it also brings me to a bigger sort of thing with Bloom and company and the ownership. The ownership seems slightly distracted here, right? Sam Kennedy, by the way, this is just a small thing, but he did this on a Monday. Why would you do that on a Monday? you just dropped this on a Friday and nobody really talks about it because by the time Monday rolls around, we're all talking about the Patriots, right? Because they had played a preseason game that Friday night. I don't know why he gave that information out on a Monday for it to drop. But more importantly, John Henry told the Globe back in July regarding the Xander Bogarts and Rafael Devers offers, if you will. And remember what those offers were. The comparison that Devers got was to Matt Olson, six for 168 or eight for 168 rather. And Bogart's just one additional year on the contract at 30 mil, which would have paid him less than Trevor Story on an annual average basis. So John Henry said about those deals, it takes two to make a deal. I think clear, both of them want to be here. We want them here. Could you sound any more unattached to the organization when you make a statement like that? (laughs) I mean, are you kidding me? (laughs) Those deals are not fair deals. And you're saying it takes two to make a deal. What are they supposed to do? You're just lowballing them, right? So it just does make me think, how much the ownership group is invested in this team. And hopefully the way things transpire this year, they will get reinvested because they got so much stuff going on with the Fenway Sports Group. They have Liverpool. They have the Penguins. Heck of an NBA team goes to Vegas. Are they going to get involved in that? They have LeBron James as part of their ownership group. So I do wonder, this ownership group at one time was hungry. They wanted to win in 04. They wanted to win in 07. Are they still? Hungry to win. It just doesn't appear that way over the past couple of years. So, and then it just brings you to this is a massive offseason for Bloom that now that he's going to be here, all this money comes off the books. You have no big contracts really outside of Chris and story. So, we're talking about the long term future of the organization in the short term. If you're Sam Kennedy, what about Devers? He isn't signed. You should get that thing done. Julio Rodriguez just got signed. Wander Franco got signed. Jordan Alvarez got signed. All these guys got signed. You never went to Devers before this offseason. So, you better get that done. You need another rotation piece. You need a shortstop replacement if Bogarts is gone. You need to find out if this guy can actually build a bullpen because we have no evidence of that. And you need somebody that can hit for power because you don't have any of that right now. Now, maybe the answer is internally with Cassis, but you'd still like to add another outfielder. Who's your outfield next year? Kike Hernandez is a free agent as well. So it's essentially just Alex Verdugo. So they have massive issues. And Sam Kennedy saying this this week, it just feels like Okay, I kind of expected it, but I don't know why you announce it now. Why don't you wait till the end of the season? Like, if you can upgrade over a player, you do it. If you can upgrade over a manager, you do it. So at the end of the season, if you could upgrade over the guy running the team, why wouldn't you? I don't know why you have to make this decision right now with Bloom. All right, let's get to some calls. 617-396-7172. Again, that's 617-396-7172.
3: Hi Brian, Jason, and Beverly. That Alex Speer column from Sunday was something else about how piss poor the Red Sox pitching is. Second worst ERA in the American League. ERA since July 1st, 5.82. Nick Pavetta this year against the American League East. 11 starts, 1 and 6, 7.24 ERA. And since 2019, since one even predates time, since Craig Kimber left tied for the most blown saves in the American League with 86. Not only has the team been without a closer for multiple years, their entire pitching has sucked since 2020 for the most part. And how have they fixed it? By not signing a single starting pitcher to more than a one-year deal. No money spent on starting pitching. No money invested in the bullpen. You pay peanuts, you get monkeys.
1: All right. Yeah. So first of all, I'm with you in terms of signing starting pitchers. The guy that I've always pointed to was you needed to sign Carlos Rodon, at least make a play for him. You weren't interested. The starting pitcher you signed, James Paxson, gave you absolutely nothing this year because he was recovering from Tommy John surgery. That's an issue. And then you look at the other part of the equation here is with the bullpen, we have seen this for a couple of years now. Even last year when the Red Sox made their run, down the stretch of the season, Nick Pavetta closed out the final game to get the Red Sox into the postseason. And all these relievers that Heinblum has brought in, with the exception of Whitlock, Schreiber's been pretty good for this team, but think about it. Davis, Sawamura, Robles was good last year, not this year. His hit rate is very low on relief pitchers.
4: Hi, this is Reed. I'm from St. Louis, but I'm a Celtics and Patriots fan here in St. Louis. My biggest thing that I have a question with regarding the Patriots is what's going to last longer, Mac Jones or Bill Belichick? Because obviously we know that Bill Belichick is, you know, long-standing. when he leaves on his own terms. And, you know, Mac is only entering his second year, so he's got a lot to prove, but he's got plenty of time, you know, remaining on his contract. But the real question is, like, will Belichick just install a puppet when he's gone? And it's just kind of mostly the same thing, just the same principles. It's just not there. And we've obviously seen what it's like for his assistant to go different places. But, like, is Matt Jones, like, going to be something that is going to be there? I don't know. It's, it's, it's very confusing to me because Bill Belichick, I think, is a very power trippy kind of coach. And it obviously is resulted in a lot of success, you know, especially considering last year we didn't have Brady and, you know, we got all these weapons. But the thing is that are we just kind of going to be in this
3: state of mediocrity?
4: I've always kind of thought of the Patriots as, like, the San Antonio Spurs of the NFL where, you know, it's kind of a smaller market. They, you know, rely a lot on, you know, just homegrown talent as well as, you know, kind of keeping the budget a little short. And we've seen that San Antonio, without their star players, have kind of just sunk into the near bottom. They've been, you know, barely in playoff contention, play in tournaments, all that other stuff. So that's my biggest question is what What are we going to be in five to ten years? Are we still going to be Bill Belichick's team? Or is it going to be Mac Jones led by some sort of Bill Belichick successor? Or are we going to completely flip things around five to ten years?
1: Yeah, that's a really interesting question and a really interesting comparison. I never thought about that. It does make sense, though, because really after Tim Duncan left the Spurs, they had that run with Kawhi when, of course, he played the Warriors and he got his foot stepped on and he couldn't play after that game and they ended up getting reverse swept. And then he had issues there in terms of his relationship with Greg Popovich, the injuries, et cetera. And I guess Brady would be the Tim Duncan, of course, in this, but from Belichick's perspective, I do think it's important to him to have this thing lined up in a good position for where he leaves. Now, right now, obviously, it's not in that position, so he has to keep working on that. But I do think it's important for Bill to find the next guy after Tom. And I think he's found it with Mac. The problem for Bill right now is he's got to fix the rest of the freaking roster, or else this team is going to be in trouble the next two to three years.
4: This is John Catalini from Camarillo, California, originally from Massachusetts. Um, I just wanted to call in and say that why isn't anybody talking about possibly using Jono Smith as a third down back since they kind of seem that they need that for the Patriots? Wouldn't it make sense for a guy that's pretty good in the open field, a big enough guy to block? Um, actually, even with draw plays, he's a pretty good runner. Um, the Patriots need to get a little more creative. So I think Jono Smith, out of the backfield a little bit more, would help them and maybe even help Mac Jones.
1: Well, that's definitely an interesting thought, and I <laughs> appreciate you taking it outside of the box trying To find any way that John U. Smith can contribute at some level this season because he gave the team shit last year. So I do respect that, but I would say just have Ramondre Stevenson out there. And Belichick said about a week and a half ago they're not going to have that traditional third down back that they've had in previous years the Vereens, the James White of the Worlds, the Danny Woodheads. They're not going to do that anymore. They're just operating that guys can play three down. So I'd expect it to be more with Ramondre Stevenson. But I am with you in the sense they have to get more out of John U. Smith. In some capacity, they got to get something out of the contract because they've got nothing out of that guy last year. And at the end of the season, that guy was an afterthought. He wasn't even a part of the game plan whatsoever. So they do have to find a way to get something out of Jonu Smith. All right, remember, if you want to leave us a voicemail, you can 617-396-7172. 617-396-7172. So if you want to complain after a Red Sox game, if you want to give your take on the Patriots as they get ready for week one of the season against the Dolphins, your expectations for Mac, you can at 617-396-7172. We'll be back on Thursday with former Red Sox, Johnny Gomes. Cannot wait to talk to Johnny Gomes about the 13 team. Still the craziest championship team I can remember in Boston. We've had great stories, but I don't think there's been a better story in terms of how they actually won the championship than the 13 team. Nobody predicted them to win the World Series. Thanks to Jonathan Kerma and Steve Cerruti for producing this podcast and we'll chat in a couple days.